We're going to bring it down here today. We're doing a, a Q&A series, as you just saw. Why? Why? I just want to set it up a little bit here before we, we jump in and, and have the, the dialogue begin today. Um, a few passages that kind of set the tone for, for where we're coming from, if you will. And then, and then I, I'm excited about the tension of an unprepared panel, if you would be today. We're just going to um, have, oh yeah, that's a little better. Uh, we're going to have uh, Jaden and James join me in a second, and we're just going to go a question at a time that you've asked already on the city or, you know, livinglifeopen.com linked you with the logo of FAQ over to the city. And then we're going to give you an opportunity as we're going through today on the back of your connection card to write another question. Uh, Hopefully all of you can come up with a frequently asked question for yourself, something that's been asked of you about church or the faith. That's the target for this series is we're going to answer how we would answer to someone. We may be answering your question, but more so we want to equip you to answer the questions you're being asked. Does that make sense? And a few passages here. 1 Peter 3.15, the second half of it says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Isn't that kind of important part of it right there that maybe we often miss? Do this with gentleness and respect, not insulting, not as one looking down upon someone who doesn't yet comprehend, but putting up with the, 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 you know, Romans would say, put up with those who are of weaker faith, not pointing a finger at someone, but just reality, you may have been on this journey years ahead of someone else. You've got a lot more of the Scripture in your mind, and you need to figure out, how do I gently lead someone to the same beliefs I have before allowing them to shift their behaviors? One thing we need to realize, disagreement is not discrimination. And I think in the world we're at today, Uh, whenever we disagree and it involves the faith, really quickly there's a finger of hater pointed or you're judging me. And it's not that way in our workplace, is it? When a business makes a decision, we would have made it a different way. It doesn't mean the boss hates us. It just means we made a different decision. So making a different decision, a disagreement does not mean discrimination. That should allow disagreements to sink in a little more gently. We sang this song, Oceans, purposefully this morning that was so beautiful, but that whole reality of spirit lead me. I think as you read through Scripture, when we're asked questions, that needs to be our posture. Spirit lead me because I don't necessarily in this context know the words that I should say. There's no way you can memorize the answers and be genuine when you give them. You have to allow yourself to be guided. So uh, James 1.5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. We need to be great at impromptu asking. 
So when we're asked a question, it doesn't mean we're like, pause, I need to ask God for the answer. You know, get all weird. Lord, I need to answer them. You know, that's not the goal. It'd be more like praying continuously. First Thessalonians 5.17 says that we need to pray continuously to where we're just listening to God's answer. Matthew 10, 19 through 20 puts it this way. When they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At the time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So, how you can in- increase your potential to guide someone into greater understanding of an issue is uh, constant exposure, really daily, to the Bible, to the Scriptures, because that's your source of answer. That really is the source of the most lifelong, life-giving answer. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 through 17 says, All Scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So all of it, from, from edge to edge, this whole thing is good for teaching. So we need to utilize it. None of it has been extincted. None of it's been erased. It's all still in action. And we need to heed its instructions. We need to listen to it and allow it to sink in and ponder it. What Psalms 1 would say, meditate on it and allow it to adjust our behaviors if necessary. Second Peter 1, 20 through 21 says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, so nothing written in here, came about by the prophet's own interpretation. Prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, uh, James, Jaden, why don't you guys make your way up? And uh, uh, so we got these questions and and what we'll do is, you know, if we have a scripture in our head that clearly answers the question, that'll be our source of truth that we'll, we'll have a conviction and, and take a stand on, if you will. Uh, if not, there's principles. There's illustrative principles that will show and guide the, uh, the insights to answers to questions. And then um, as well, uh, if there's not principles or there's not a clear truth, then then we'll just come up with an opinion, and we'll say it's our opinion. And our opinion's way. always right. Yeah, always. I'll make up a statistic on the spot, right? Isn't that what you like to say? 76% of all statistics are made up on the spot. 83% are, yeah. Well, depending on the study you use, Statistically speaking, of course. So that's a great sound. Uh, so a passage... Uh, uh, if you want to just kind of understand the, the final heart of where we're coming from, Second uh, Corinthians 7.35. I just love to come back to this passage where it says, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. God doesn't want to wreck our fun. Isn't that good news? In fact, we're promised that we can live life to the full. God doesn't want to wreck our fun. In the answers that we're provided in Scripture, it's for our freedom that God gives us response to issues. And so today I, I, I'm excited to kind of jump into this with you and unlock some of the questions and, and look at uh, how God really gave us insights. So um, speaking of God, did he create the world or not? Here's the question. Can you be a Christian 
and believe in evolution. Go. All right. So when I saw this question, um, my first instinct was not to get into the debate of evolution versus creation because a lot of times people don't even, when you say evolution, someone's saying completely different than what you're thinking evolution means. So I like to just look at what the Bible says since that's kind of the vein we're going with this whole um, series. And so I think to be a Christian, you need to believe what the Bible says. I mean, because if you don't believe what the Bible says, then how can you believe that Jesus was really the Son of God? Because if Jesus is our salvation, we have to believe that the stories about him in the Bible were completely true. And so when I read the Bible and God says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, I have to believe that. And so that's the vein that I start off with. And so you read throughout Scripture continually, God saying that I created the earth, like I have made it like so that my people or so that the people that I put into it would praise me. So it's for his glory that God created the earth. And so from there, that's, that's kind of like how I'll, I'll start off the question. Do you want to add anything? Sure. When you, uh, sorry, if you think about I'm playing with my phone, I'm not checking out the scores, actually using my notes. I took some good notes here. Whatever. <laughs> okay, I'm checking on the score. <laughs> it's game seven. What do you expect? And so anyways, uh, when you talk about the, uh, the topic of evolution, evolution is a big, big topic. There's so much involved when it comes to evolution. You can talk about the, the, formation, of the, uh, the formation of the world when it comes to creation. Uh, evolution in terms of what cells do when, when, uh, when they're placed in different uh, uh, environments where they can change over time. So when we, when we look at evolution, it is a big, 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 big area you look at. And so when the Bible talks, when Jaden was talking about evolution, on my opinion... Uh, Good clarification, thank the, you. Hey, I appreciate that. <laughs> when, you, when, when we look at the... Uh, when you see things like cells and you put certain cells together or in different environments, these cells or these objects adapt to their environment and see change. I, in that form of that piece of evolution, I believe cells do change in that piece. When you look at what Jaden was talking about, the other, one of the other big pieces of the discussion when it comes to evolution is, was the, was the earth formed in a big bang, you know? A lot of people bring up that conversation. And to, you know, my opinion, of course, I, we, we do refer to Scripture, and like Jaden was saying, God created the heaven and the earth. But when I look at just, uh, when you look at research and even talking to, I actually got to speak to an eye doctor once, and he was referring to the, the pupil, of the eyeball itself. And... Someone had asked him, if you were to create the eyeball, just if you had everything, would you be able to create a functional eyeball? The, the eye doctor, of course, with, with all the knowledge and all the technology he has, could not, of course, put together an actual living eyeball that could function. Well, you can see, if you did some research on the eyeball, the eyeball is very, not just a pupil and a, uh, what's that thing called in the middle? You sure? 
I think it's called an iris. Maybe let's call it an iris then, all right? <laughs> I appreciate that in the back. Do we all section, second the motion on that piece? All I concur. Favor? All right, I thank concur. you. Okay, we'll call it a we'll call it an iris. And so when when you look at the eye, it's so complex, and and just the figuring and the and the makeup of that, you seem to figure out how can you know if someone cannot put it together, then how was it formed? And so you looking at creation itself, and 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 just looking outside and seeing mountains and 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 the gorgeousness of of where you live, especially in the northwest. Um, that's where we live, of course, right? Okay. There you go. Okay, I think so. So the Northwest, you look outside and go, wow, how was, how was this put together? You know, did it really happen because of a Big Bang? Could I go into Home Depot, throw a bomb there? Like, I, I probably would never do that, of course. Don't. But now you're being listened to because you just said that. I apologize, whoever yeah. is listening. Um, and went off, would that create a house? Would it? Maybe. You never know. So probably that, better than I could build. Possibly. That's well. That's my opinion. There. That's what I think about when I think about that that piece. So hopefully that brings some clarity to you. I, I think if I confuse you, I do apologize. <laughs> English is my second language. That's good. There's plenty of books we could read to oh, guide wow. us. Anyway, so here we go. Uh, I I when I saw this question on the city, I did you know, what all scholarly people would choose to do. I Googled it. And then I uh, uh, kind of read through. I found it interesting, a quote from a Time Magazine uh, article asking that very question, can you be a Christian and believe in evolution? And what really I find is a lot of people misunderstand the very theory of evolution, you know, which is still a theory, which means it's not anything but a theory, right? I mean, it's still a theory. And honestly, this whole evolution versus creation, I feel really sometimes bad about these things, but I really, in a way, is it, can I say this out loud, don't care. And uh, it's one of those, it's like I major on Jesus, and I think this is one of those questions we get so distracted on. And we can debate on these little side subject matters that distract people from the reality that God sent his son to save us. And we never get to that part of the message. And we get stuck on like this sideways tangent of debates. And so, but I loved what this one professor said. He's a biochemistry professor, Michael B. Here, however you pronounce his last name, from Lee University. He said, when we were taught in parochial school that Darwin's theory was the best guess at how God could have made life, I'm still not against Darwinian evolution on theological grounds. I'm against it on scientific grounds. I think God could have made life using apparently random mutation and natural selection. But my reading of the scientific evidence is that he did not do it that way, that there was a more active guiding. I think that we're all descended from some single cell in the distant past, but that that cell and later parts of life were intentionally produced as the result of intelligent activity. As a Christian, I say that intelligence is very likely to be God. So, in essence, can you be a Christian and believe in evolution? You guys have anything more to say on it? I would say 
Can you be a Christian and believe in evolution? Yeah, pieces of the theory, depending on what angle you're talking about. But there's pieces of that theory that just totally contradict Scripture. So I think you'd have to explain, or if somebody's asking me that question, I wouldn't tell them I don't care. <laughs> I, would, I would tell them, well, talk to me. What, what, are you, what are you speaking about when you say evolution? Because people have totally misinterpreted the theory. So it's what piece are you talking about? Are you talking about cells and creation? Or are you going back to like, we were all monkeys? You know, uh, or, you know what are you talking about when you say evolution? Because there, there's very, very likely an intelligent design, and Scripture confirms that, and scientists, biologists alike, really confirm that. And if you love this stuff, like there's multiple books out there. I love the author Josh McDowell on it. He writes a book called More Than a Carpenter. He was uh, doing excavation stuff. Is that the right? That's not the right term. Is that the right term? Archaeological research. And somebody said, can you through archaeological research prove that God doesn't exist? And he's like, yeah. And he went to do that, and he ended up scientifically confirming God created the world. And uh, it was pretty impressive. His books are awesome. He's got... Uh, tough answers for tough questions, just some great books that really address this. And some would come out and just say, no way, you can't be a Christian and believe in evolution, creation. But I think some of the pieces of evolution confirm, are, are confirmed in the creation story. It's just, there's elements of it. So anyway, I wouldn't s- surrender myself to the whole theory. But Next, uh, why is it that some Christians don't listen to secular music and only listen to Christian music. Sorry about that. We're sitting in front of the speakers, and it gets mad, the sound system. So it's uh, my bad, probably. It's because radio music bites, and that's why people don't listen to secular music. No, I'm just joking. Everybody likes radio music. Um, good question. Uh, you, you, um, especially when you look at the, the um, music, uh, I always ask the question first is, why are you listening to music? What is the purpose of music? Um, when you look at a biblical standpoint, one of, our, uh, one of the most famous and well-known uh, musicians, you could say the Justin Bieber of the, the Bible, King David, you know, wrote songs in... Uh, I did say beaver. Just, well, we can call him something else, you know? Oh. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're good. You're good. And so uh, you look at um, him and he, his purpose to, to uh, listen to music or to, to sing music was to worship God. Um, you can see later on in the, the scripture, it talks about uh, King Saul. And uh, at a time he was tormented by evil spirits is what they were calling it, uh, he, uh, he asked David to, to, to soothe his soul by playing an instrument, an actual harp, to, to help calm him down. So more of a, a soothing purpose to, to listen to music. Other people in the, you can see in the Bible, music is used to, uh, to war off danger. There's so many things when it comes to, to the purpose of music. Why do you listen to music? Uh, is one of the questions I, I, I would look at. The second piece is, what style of music do you listen to? You know, are you the rap guy? Do you like rap? Is rap bad? 
is uh, what else music is there other than rap? What other music? <laughs> Let's be honest here, okay? Jesus is against country. That's, well, you know, that's so, debatable, debatable there. Heard it's, it. Yeah. Said. And so you, you can look at the, uh, the style. Is, is there a bad style of music? Uh, Back to country. I'm well, just kidding. I'm just joking. We're going we're gonna to put that in there. <laughs> so is there a bad style of music? I mean, you, uh, Christian music you hear, you know, some people say, uh, some of the newer music where, you know, there's rock, you know, it sounds more rock and rollish, maybe, and then they, they take the traditional, they like the hymns and the old stuff, they feel that that's bad, but is it really bad? I think music is a preference thing. I, I don't see it in the Bible where it says, uh, rap is of the devil. Maybe it was one of the books that they forgot to put out. Oh, my word. No, maybe. I think Jaden has something to say. <laughs> Well, so I grew up, my, I'm Christian, so I grew up on Christian music my whole life until like 13 when we got cable and I started watching MTV. And so that was like, honestly, that was the first like non-Christian music I ever listened to. And so my mom was more of a person who's like, you know, it's only Christian, you know, 105.3, safe for the whole family, stuff like that. And so... It, and, and that's fine. I liked that music at the time, but then I started listening to other music, and I became a really big Coldplay fan, and so I would, like, listen to them, and so when I got my own car, you know, for whatever reason, and I still do this now, not, the first station is always the Christian station. <laughs> like, I don't know why. It's just, like, a habit, and so, but it's funny. The only time I ever listen to Christian music now is when I'm on my way to church on Sunday mornings, <laughs> and so it's like, it's like, I don't know. So I'll listen to it sometimes throughout the week, but the other, the problem is, is like, the secular music sounds better. I mean, I just like the way it sounds, and it's really bad because then I actually listen to the words of some of the songs, and it's like, that is sick, <laughs> what they're talking about, or like, that's so dirty, I don't need to listen to that, and so, you know, there's songs where I just, I just switch it, because like, I believe that Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so I really believe that whatever you're putting in, eventually that stuff's going to come back out. And so I'm always careful about what I'm listening to. And as much as I, I love the thrift shop song, there's a lot of bad words. And it's just it's like, got the word Jesus in it. It's got the word Jesus in it. So, But it's like, it's, there's just songs that are just dirty songs that you shouldn't listen to. And so I think that's, that's the vein of thought I look look through uh you know it's interesting because we say christian music as if a song can choose to follow jesus right or neglect jesus and and lose its eternal relationship with god uh, so we define these secular and christian music you know and and for a long time i'll admit i was that youth pastor like 17 years ago where kids like we would find that burnt CD with no label on it in their backpack, and then we would peer pressure altar call them at the end of camp, if you have secular music, throw it in the fire and God will make you pure. You know, it was awesome. We would have the burning and the kids, because of peer pressure, there's like 200 other kids, they're burning their stuff, and they're like, I hate my youth pastor. I just bought all this, oh, you know, and they're just ticked, and they're like, how could I burn this when I could sell it and get $3 per CD back? I'll just exchange it when I get back home, and we're like, don't even put it back into circulation, because everybody will burn who listens to it. You know, so, I mean, I've been there and done that, right? But then I grew up and realized uh, that 
God has given us discernment for a reason. That's what our next series is about called Choices coming up in a couple weeks. But just realizing that, uh, you know, we're kind of not really thinking big picture if we think everything has to be Christian to use it. Like, how do you buy Christian gas? How do you drive a Christian car? You know, how do you... Uh, you know, it just doesn't make sense. Do you only wear Christian clothes? And some people would believe that they need to, right? It has to be made by Christians and uh, prayed over. And, and that's, that's a world that some people live in. But I, I believe you can redeem most of the content of these songs that are out there. And that, uh, that's why, you know, we, our pre and post set is not all Christian music. There's a lot of believers who sing music that has nothing to do with their relationship with Jesus. They're just using the gift God gave them to create artistry, and it's beautiful, and it does draw people into a contemplative mode or a conversation where they could turn that corner and say, I was singing about Jesus here. You know, my relationship with God is coming through this lyrical expression, and anyway, I just... Uh, the thing that drives my wife nuts, I'm glad she's not up here to answer this question. Um, yesterday we were in the car having this conversation again. She, she's like, we do not listen to that in my car. And my daughter says, and it was, you know, uh, thrift shop. It was, it was, it was Macklemore. And so we, um, we were there and, and the girls were singing. They've rewrote the lyrics of it anyway, because they don't like the bad lyrics either. Uh, but so they're listening to this song and, uh, and Dana flips it over to 105.3. We do not listen to that music in the car. And I love one of my older daughters says, says, Dad, come on. You're the man of the house. Turn it back. I was like, uh-oh, this is not going a good direction. It was kind of humorous. So, and then I was caught. I was like, happy wife, happy life, man of the house. Oh, you know, I'm like, well, it's. Let's just take a break from the music for a couple minutes. I've chosen that. Anyway, no, uh, it was kind of funny. But I, uh, I find that there's some amazing music. If you ever want to know what I listen to, I make my Spotify playlist public on Facebook, so stalk me, and you'll come up with some really odd music because I love it. I love uh, a lot of odd music. Jaden's the one who will comment because I'm listening to the We Bought a Zoo soundtrack, and he's like, Thad's preparing his message again. How could you prepare a message to secular music? You know, but anyway, that CD just does it for me. gets me in like this thinking mode. Uh, uh, you know, the lead artist of that band definitely d- doesn't <laughs> preach the gospel, you know, but I'm like, I love his voice. I think he's one of the most talented people on earth, Yancey. So anyway, um, moving on to the next question, now that you're thoroughly confused about that. By the way, country is of the devil, right? That's what my mama said. So here we go. Uh, Why does Open Life want every person to fill out a connection card every week? Because you have to. Okay, there you go. Next question is. No, No, one of our biggest reasons why we want you to fill out um, your connection cards is, plain and simple, uh, life was not made to be lived alone. And we want to share in the joy um, of of life with you guys, and the only way we can do that is by knowing what's going on. Uh, we want to know first who you are. You know, your your name is very important, and so we want to use your name. We want to know what's going on in your life. We want to know how we can pray for you in times where you know you you need someone else to to help pray for you as well. And so we ask people to fill out connection cards. So we wanna 
we want to live life together. We want to have you connected. We want to we want to invite you to things that are happening throughout the week. One great plug, of course, we want to talk about later is groups. Highly recommended. A place to get to know not just people around you here, but in your neighborhood. You know, how many people know their neighbors by name? Well, good. I got quite a few people. I just found out my neighbor's name like two weeks ago, and I lived there for almost two years. Pretty shocking, huh? And so... Uh, uh, connection cards, we want you to fill them out just so that we can, we can celebrate life with you together, get to know who you are. Yeah, we just care, right? And yeah. uh, uh, it does help not only, uh, and, and let me speak to this, if you're a regular attender of Open Life, no matter your age in here, you should complete it. And what it does for the guest sitting next to you is it helps them feel more comfortable filling it out as well because everybody's filling it out. Don't worry. We've already killed the tree. It's not your fault, right? We've already killed the tree. We get a really good discount on printing from Office Depot. So you're, you're, you're all good. Fill it out because we're just going to throw them away after. So we recycle them if that makes you feel better. So it goes back into the system. So here we go. Number four, uh, why can't people believe in God but not be religious? Okay. So when I saw this question... I looked at the word religious, and I was just was wondering, I'm assuming who, whoever asked the question was saying it more of a negative context, like, because we hate religious people, you know, <laughs> or, you know, we just don't, we don't like that connotation that comes with being religious. Um, but I think if you use the word for what it means, because if you just look up religion in the dictionary, it just means, like, having a set of beliefs on how the universe was formed and all these other things and a set of morals and stuff like that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being religious. I think the problem is, is when that religion that I choose to have or like that we choose to have becomes a stumbling block to other people who maybe don't have that religion or people who don't. So like my, I would say my religion is that I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe everything in the Bible and I love God. And so how I practice that out is not, as I come to church every week, I try and encourage people, I try and help people in their needs, and I try to meet practical needs in the world. And so I don't think that's bad, and I don't think that's bad to ask other people to get people who aren't involved to invite them to open life and just say, hey, would you want to experience this person named Jesus that I love that died for my sins? Would you want to know what all this is about? And so I think when you put it in that kind of context, you realize that it's not the religion that is just condemning you because your life might not be to par with the way that everyone else's life is in here. And the truth of the matter is Jesus was a teacher of the, the law, but he just taught it in a different way. And so he was teaching a new way of religion. And so I don't think like that's a bad thing to think that religion is a bad thing. I would come back to like, what, three weeks ago? The second week in our last series, I talked about Pharisees and Sadducees and ultimately those who have a religious spirit. I think that's more 
what people are saying when they're, when they're saying, man, I just don't want to be religious. I would love to, to grow in a relationship with God, but I, want, I don't want to be known as the freaky religious person, right? And uh, it was Matthew 5.20 that we read. You know, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus was challenging there was the religious of the day. He's like, don't just have religion. Don't just have a set of mandates. Have a relationship. And I think that's what we're trying to pursue is a different R word. A relationship with Jesus, a relationship with our Creator, a relationship with God. And um, people are kind of, the word religion to me is this very stagnant term. Uh, and it is a negative connotation often, often in our culture. So I do stay away from it. And I love to talk about having a relationship with Jesus versus uh, a religious involvement. Um, I pretty much never, I don't think I ever use that that term. So, is that good? Next question is a deep one. It's, I'm very personally engaged in this one. But can you be a Christian and believe in pro-choice? We have nine minutes left. So, All right. So, can you be a Christian and believe in pro-choice? It's really hard to say yes or no. Like, no, you can't be a Christian and be pro-choice. Because I have friends that are Christians, and they would they would say, sorry they would say that they are pro choice like they would vote that people should have the right to choose it's their life it's not my right to to like say how other people should live and so i believe they're christians so th- yeah they can be christians and believe in pro choice but i would say should you believe in pro choice and i think throughout scripture as we read is that, G, that God is the creator God. God is just all about creating stuff. He's all about, he's all about life, and he's all about lifting life up, no matter the circumstances. And so when you go through Scripture and you read verses like, um, one of my favorites is Psalm uh, 139.13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Like that's, that's David saying that, God, you knew me the minute I was in my mother's womb. And so it's like when you're talking about abortion, you're talking about killing something that God made. Because I believe that life starts at conception. The minute, like if we're talking about our lives and how if we really believe that God created the whole world, that he created humans, then he knows our smallest cells that are inside of our body. And so the minute that that baby is formed in that mother's womb, the conception, like that's still bigger than our smallest cells, which we know that God created. And so I believe at that very moment, God believes that that is a life. And I just think like, I think about Jesus. I mean, it says that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and she was pregnant with child. Well, what if Mary didn't want to have a baby? What if, what if it, it was her choice? But God says it's his choice. He's the one that brings life. He's the one that is the will of his that lives out through creation. And I believe at the very moment, conception. So I would say, should you believe 
in pro-choice? I don't think so. Because we're to be there for the people who can't speak for themselves. We're to be there for people who are hurting and who want to have an abortion. We're here for them. We're here to uplift them and say, there's other ways. There's adoption. There's other things you can do besides aborting that child. And so what I like to think about is what if the church, instead of being so negative about pro-choice and being so, like, just vile and vicious, even in our own sense, is what if we decided to start solving the problems that single mothers have? What if we started to really be there for the poor and be there for people who can't fend for themselves and say, you may think that this child's going to have a terrible life, but we're going to be a group of people that are going to come behind you and help you, whether that's through programs, whether that's through money, whether that's through nonprofit organizations that say, you know, we'll help you out. I was just hearing yesterday, um, a councilman for Seattle was talking at this like graduation thing, and he was saying that there's a program where nurses for first-time mothers, especially single mothers, they'll go and meet them like once or twice a month right when they become pregnant, and they'll walk them through how to be a mother, how to go through pregnancy. And the stats on what happens to those children when they get up to be teenagers, it's almost a 0% that those children will go into the prison system. It's just astronomical what just a simple program. And I don't think this guy was a Christian who's talking, and I don't necessarily think that that program's a Christian program. But what could the church do with those types of programs that we come up because we have the Spirit of God working through us to do amazing things. It's good. Uh, this topic is, is actually one, of course, more recently that, that came evident on my wife, of course. Um, me and my wife were expecting a kid in October, and so when we, we thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah. The fruit of your loins. Wow. There you go. Ouch. Yikes. <laughs> All right. And so uh, one, of, one of the great realizations, especially we, we sat down through, is uh, they asked us whether or not we, um, you probably, whoever had kids more recently or in the past, had asked us a question whether or not we wanted to find out if our kid would be diagnosed with Down syndrome. And so we sat down, we talked to each other and said, is this something that we want to think about? Um, more and along the lines, as we started talking about that and and if we did realize, if the test did come back and said uh, our kid is diagnosed with Down syndrome, it is, is, it our, uh, is, our ch- is it our choice to then say, why then should that one live? And I feel that we came to a realization and, and God had blessed us with that life, like what Jaden was saying. And we, we, we don't feel that we had the... It wasn't our obligation to take that life away. And so that came very relevant in, in our lives. And so that's where one of the pieces. But, you know, you look at other scenarios and maybe that will, I'll ask that this question is um, what happens in the unique circumstances where people get pregnant in an episode like rape? Mm-hmm. What happens there? And is it correct? You know, is it right to, to abort the baby then? Right, so the first person I ever led personally to Christ was a gal who had been raped and twice and had become pregnant both times, had uh, believed in, in her faith, she grew up Catholic, that that was a life, right? 
still. And so she carried those babies through uh, and, and actually got excommunicated from the church. There's the classic, right? And, uh, well, you believe in life. You know, kick them to the curb. This is messy. And so she, uh, she would, had hated religion all of a sudden, you know, and really was against the church and, and was so hurt by thinking she was doing what Scripture said but yet got hurt through that. But in her discussion to me, she's like, I look into the face of my, my children and they would say I would see my rapists. But I see these kids I love. And, and like, I gave them life and they give me life in return. And I love these kids with everything in me. And I think that just when you hear stories like that, it changes your perspective. And, and through just moments of expressing the love of Jesus to this gal, she ran back into his arms and began a relationship with Christ. And I, I look at uh, just the, I think that's some of the reason people do. They think they'll be judged, but Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to save the world through him, you know. And uh, I, I think any life that we have, we need to put that, the trust in that life in the Lord's hands. And no matter how long it's going to make it, and no matter how long this child is going to live, God intends this for some good. He works all things for the good who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 28. We just need to believe that, as painful as it is. You know, I came to the church because my girlfriend had an abortion. And the next morning, I, I walked into church because I was like, I was just an accomplice in murder. I just believed that. Even though I was far from God, something woke me up in that moment and said, <sighs> so like that was my turning moment. And some, I know people in this room, statistically, you've had an abortion or you've contemplated it or you know someone who has or you've lost a child and it's painful. And so this is a tough issue to dialogue with your friends and you can lose friendships over it. So this is one of those you just have to trust Jesus. You have to trust the Holy Spirit and be filled with gentleness and respect. And don't use the phrase that the politician used, well, if it was a legitimate rape. That was just a bad approach, right? That, that was just kind of insert foot in the mouth. And, uh, you know, we just need to use our heads. But in, as you research abortion, it's ugly and sick what we allow. They'll make you vomit. And uh, you just don't want to be a part of that ultimately. But the moment abortion was created... We all became pro-choice because God's pro-choice. He believes in us having choices. The moment this process was invented, the choice is ours to make. We just need to submit ourselves to God who believes in the sanctity of life. So, um, you know, the choice is ours, but we don't want to uh, take lives. So, well, we're... Our time is up. It goes quick, doesn't it? The time flies by. We have like four more questions we are going to try to answer. Um, how about, because you have the, the booth set up back there, we'll just go like two minutes long. What are open life groups and why do I need to be a part of one, James? There you go. Open life groups. Groups are a place for 
uh, individuals to meet with other people in, in their, well, right now, in their neighborhoods um, and nearby uh, to build relationship. I believe that uh, Jesus, oh, God got it right the first time when uh, he created uh, Eve. He, he knew for a fact that uh, life wasn't meant to live alone. And that theory carried on to what is known, called as Facebook. Everybody lives life together through Facebook. They, they share stories. They share their lives and, and all, all of the above. In the same way, we want groups to be that, a place where you can get to know someone that you don't know, either in the church or outside in the community, um, hopefully in your neighborhood, to share life together, to, to see what they, you know, pray for their needs, to, to get to know what they are. Maybe your kid plays with them and um, with their kid, and you never met the parent before. What a great place to know the parents if you're not one that's, you know, easily to, to meet other people or create, you know, places where you guys meet up and talk. But groups, um, we have three specific groups right now, all tailored to neighborhoods. And so we recommend you stop at the back to take a look at uh, the group sign up. What we do is we just send you an email to invite you um, to the city and to the groups. Groups start this Wednesday and Thursday, and we meet on the second and the fourth of every month for three months. And so I, I guarantee you this season of groups are going to be fabulous. I mean, not saying that the old ones are bad, but I mean, it's going to be so, so easy and so simple. You're going to share life over food and conversation, maybe a game, and it, it'll create places where hopefully what we pray and hope is that it'll build relationships and other things evolve from that. Uh, other groups, uh, yoga group, running group, or other things like that. So groups, sign up. Everybody, I recommend you sign up. I'm going to be back there with my laptop just sending out uh, invitations to groups that would be in your area. So, yeah, hopefully that answered the question. Awesome. It, it'll work. It will work. Bruce is going to come up and, and wrap up the, the service with a, a giving talk question, if you would, here in a second. Next week, so hopefully if you have a question that you want answered, write it on your connection card on the back side uh, because we will answer all your questions on the city if we don't answer them live. We're going to take like the, the most frequent ones, but we'll, we'll, the ones we didn't get to today that we'll answer next week, am I really the same as a murderer because I sleep with my boyfriend before marriage? All sins be, being equal and all. Uh, when will open life be a real church? Will we ever have a building? I love that question. I get it all the time uh, from the same people. Okay, and then uh, why would God allow so much hate and hurt to be associated with religion? And then uh, we, we save the big one for the second week of, you know, can you be a Christian and uh, believe in same-sex marriage, you know, tackle the homosexuality issue.